back. Um, so for some years we've been running the Medicine Box student project, which has aimed to draw students from different disciplines from wherever they may be across the country to present at MU. <clears throat> this is the first year where we've wound those presentations into the main um, event. So we have four student presentations over the course of the two days, and our first presentation is from Elish Swift, who's a fifth-year medical student at the University of Oxford. Welcome, and thank you to Elish. So, today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how we can use art in medicine as a therapy. So this is something that's been used for quite a while, but equally isn't used as widely as maybe we might like to think it might be. But first of all, you've all just had your lunch. I'm sure you're all quite postprandial. You're quite, oh, oh, I'm full of sandwiches. So you've all been given paper and pencil as you came in? Yep, great. So you're going to have one minute, and I would like you to draw yourselves, please. There's a saying old says that love is blind Still we're often told seek and ye shall find So I'm going to seek a certain light I've had in mind Looking everywhere haven't found him yet He's a big affair I cannot forget only man I ever think of with regret I'd like to add his initial to my monograph Ten seconds Tell me where is the shepherd for I've never seen such enthusiasm for drawing. I'm so pleased. <laughs> Everyone just immediately put their heads down. I'm so pleased. So I'm wondering, how, what kind of things did you draw? Did you draw yourself now? Did you draw yourself younger? Did you draw yourself older? Did you draw yourself warts and all? Did you draw a beautiful mermaid? Did you draw yourself? Did you just draw your face? Did you draw your whole body? Did you draw yourself in a strange position? I asked one of my roommates to do this, and she drew herself from behind. <laughs> <laughs> Which was interesting. Oh, can I manage to go next? Yes. So, this child has a cleft palate. He has quite a bad one, as you can see. Um, so, in the UK, we correct this at birth. Um, however, in some third world countries, obviously, the healthcare infrastructure isn't there um, in order to make this surgery available. Um, so, there's an organization called the Smile Train that goes around and they fix um, these in these impoverished countries. So, if I ask this child to draw himself, like you just have done, do you think he would draw his cleft? So there's a team of researchers actually did this. They found 171 children and teenagers who were going to have their cleft palates repaired, um, and they asked them to draw themselves. So I just want you all to think in your heads, just get a figure ready, because I'm going to ask for hands up. What percentage of these 171 children do you think would draw their cleft? Which, bear in mind, in this circumstance, they will have been ostracized for it. They might have problems with speech and with drinking. Um, you know, it will have been a big part of their lives. So you probably expect quite high. So, hands up if you think more than 50%. Okay, some skeptics. Okay, okay. 
Less than 50, well, yeah, everyone else, okay, less than 40%. Oh, I'm leading you on, aren't I? Well, surprisingly, it was absolutely zero. Not a single child out of 171 children drew their cleft, which I found this and I thought this was shocking. I was so surprised by this. So because of this, I was inspired to do a project um, in my own time about, uh, about what we can do and what impact does this have on these children? So, a big psychological effect of disfigurement is disruption of body image. So disfigurement can be congenital, like these children with cleft palate. It can be traumatic if you're in a bad road accident, that kind of thing. Or it can be surgical even. It can be, say for example, um, a patient that I'll talk about in a bit. Um, would have had a very normal outside appearance, but she had an oral cancer, and in the treatment of that has ended up with visible scars and facial deformity as a result. So when you disrupt the body image, this is a, as I said, major psychological effect, and it can lead to loss of personal identity, anxiety, and depression, as you'd imagine. So art therapy has been used for a while to help people who have had disfigurement as a result of trauma. So in art therapy, you ask, there's many different tasks. Sometimes it's just a case of just letting the patient be creative. But quite often in this case, it's, it's about allowing the patient to express themselves, but also a little bit more focused on drawing themselves, that kind of thing. So by asking the patient to draw and to be creative, quite often this can bring out emotions and expressions and things that the patient hasn't really wanted to verbally address, and this can be really useful when you have a therapist doing the art session. However, in addition, it confronts the denial of these strange self-images that aren't necessarily aligned with reality, such as those children who wouldn't draw their own clefts. By confronting denial, you can create a new self-image, and this improves self-esteem and is really empowering to the point where it can actually improve recovery. So I just want to give you an example of a therapy regime that you might use for someone who's been in a road traffic accident. So there's usually three steps. First of all, you ask them to draw a person. And this maintains some psychological distance, um, and you can assess their drawing ability at this stage. Um, so <laughs> um, sometimes patients who have been fairly good at drawing will suddenly become to draw, draw quite childlike in manner, um, and this can be as a result of behavioral regression after the accident. So you can see psychology even at that level. Um, a very other interesting finding at this stage is that quite often the area of injury is exaggerated or eliminated entirely. So there's a lady who'd lost her hand in an accident and all the people she drew all had either huge monstrous hands or no hands at all. It was very interesting. Secondly, you then ask them to draw the person sitting across from them. So you still maintain that psychological distance, but then you can assess their uh, perception skills and how accurately they draw. And then finally, obviously, the most important step, you ask them to draw themselves. At this stage, you can assess how do they feel about themselves. Are they acknowledging or denying the, uh, the deformity effects of the accident? That kind of thing. Um, and as I said earlier, this allows them to express things about themselves. So we're going to go through an example in just a second. But I also wanted to say that it's quite interesting in that this is used in people who've had traumatic disfigurement, but it's not currently used in people who have congenital disfigurement, like the cleft palate children. Um, I met some parents whose child was about to undergo the surgery. Obviously, in the UK, we have it so young that the child doesn't know or care. 
But the parents, um, you know, they're very pleased that their child was going to have the surgery, and then afterwards they didn't recognise their own child, and it was tremendously difficult for them. So perhaps there would be a role for this there. But in addition, I'd also the thing that really interested me was what role this could play in the surgical-induced um, disfigurement. Um, so, like, as I was saying before, my patient who had the oral cancer. So, we're in fact going to talk about that patient now. So, this is my drawing of that patient while she was under GA. This is how I anonymise my drawings, by having, them, having the tape over their eyes. Um, so, that's how you know what she looks like. <laughs> so, um, I was talking to her about the art therapy and she agreed to help me out with this little project. Um, so, this is her drawing of herself the day before she went in for surgery. So, you can see that she spent, she spent ages. She really did a good job on this. She's so much colour. She's done a beautiful face. She spent ages on the hair. Um, she's quite happy in the picture. And then this is the day after surgery. So, you can see. So, she had the tracheostomy in at the time, which is why she's written on it. And she couldn't talk to me. Um, but you can see there's, the hair is just... Where's it gone? She's miserable. Interestingly, her neck did not look like that, just to reassure you. <laughs> um, but that was just how it felt to her. Oh, oh, hello, iTunes. Always inopportune times for iTunes. <laughs> it's fine, I'll carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, and you can see she didn't have the energy or the patience to um, use the colouring in pencils. And I did offer them to her, and she's just, no, no, I'm not doing that today. And then this is her the day um, when she was about to go home. So there's about 12 days in between these. So again, you can see some of the hairs coming back, some of the facial expressions happier. She's still pretty tired out. Um, she's not drawing the colours. But the most interesting thing I found was that on this final one, she's drawn the neck dissection scars from her surgery as part of her self-portrait. She had two massive neck dissection scars going down like this. And she's actually included them on this final image, whereas they're nowhere to be found on this one. So it was really interesting to see her actually incorporating that. So finally, I wonder, what have you included on your picture? Have you been honest with yourself? Is there things that maybe you, your neighbour would uh, notice that you haven't included on your drawing? So... Good job, guys. Very good. Um, <laughs> so, I'd like to encourage you at some point later today, when you've got a bit of time, maybe after the few boos at the reception, um, to revisit it and own your own self-image. Any questions? Done silence. Yes. <laughs> well, really, the, the question is, did you do any, any longer-term um, connections with the patients, and, and how were they three months on or six months on, or are you able to do that? So I would absolutely love to do that. That's one thing I've been looking into. Unfortunately, doing this as a proper project, you can imagine the ethics are a bit of a nightmare. Um, this patient, unfortunately, sad to say, um, is not going to be with us for so much longer, as it turns out from histology results. So 
There's not much follow-up on that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> Oral cancer, what can you do? <laughs> Did you have a question there? Sorry. I was just wondering with the children who drew themselves. Um, so I was, I was wondering about the children who drew themselves with the cleft palates, whether yeah. that's true across time and culture. Well, exactly. It was very interesting, wasn't it? They did take a sample from, very, you know, they didn't find 171 children in one country. They did, it was spread out across. And they, in fact, actually, what they actually did was they had a big sheet on the floor that was like an outline of a human. And they asked themselves to draw themselves on that. Um, but yeah, no, it'd be really interesting to follow that up, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's fascinating. And it'd be interesting to see children with other deformities. And of course, one intrinsic problem with this was that they were about to undergo the surgery to correct it. So maybe they were smarter than we were giving them credit for. And they're like, well, by the time anyone's looking at this research, this is what I will look like. <laughs> Any more questions? Oh, sorry, could you wave? I can't see where you are. Up here. Oh, up the top. Hi, sorry. Yes. Did you have any thoughts about why the children didn't include their cleft palate in their drawings? Well, I say it's interesting, isn't it? Um, it's strange because my, my idea would be that it was sort of out of shame or out of a sense of this is what a face should look like, if that makes sense. You know, when you ask children to draw a house, they don't draw their house. They draw the little square with the square windows and the little door and the chimney. So I don't know if that would be a factor in it. But say these were children, children and teenagers. So, but yeah, no, there wasn't much more detail in the study. And I really I would love to get a hold of the researchers for sure. Didn't play a huge part in their self-identity. Mm. Yeah, which I say anything else I would agree on, but I say it will have really changed their lives a lot of the time, as evidenced by the difference that the smile train makes. But yeah, no, it's a good point. Oh, Mike's behind you. <laughs> Thanks. Could it be that they didn't have access to mirrors? <laughs> well, where there's where there's no mirrors, there are ponds. <laughs> and yes, but you have to. Your, your point about um, the social stigma, mm. if they had no sense of having a deformity, right. is it sensible for art therapy to tell them they've got a deformity? That's a very philosophical question. I would argue that they will know in that they'll have been ostracised in their community. Um, I say these are not young children, these are children and teenagers even. I, but yeah, no, it's very true and I don't know, I mean, what do people think? Should should they tell their children? I think they probably would find out, surely. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not really sure on that one, I'm afraid. Interesting question. Hmm. I'm up. All right. Thank you very much. I haven't got any slides actually. I forgot to send them. <laughs> ah, well done. Did you enjoy it? You did. Thanks, Charles. <laughs> no, I'm rubbish at drawing. When you're talking about people doing childish drawings.